I'm Paul Levinson, and welcome to Light On, Light Through, episode 100. That's a nice, even number. I started this podcast, Light On, Light Through, back in 2006. So here we are in January 2015 with our 100th episode. And I thought I would do something for this episode, which isn't unusual at all for this podcast. In fact, in many ways, it typifies this podcast, because over the years, we've had many more than one episode devoted to one of my favorite all-time topics, one of my favorite subjects, both as a reader, a viewer, and as a writer. And that would be time travel. So January 2015 has been a splendid month for time travel on the screen. And in fact, two things on the screen in particular. Predestination, a movie made from Robert Heinlein's All You Zombies. I saw that this past month. And on television, on the Sci-Fi Channel, the new television series, 12 Monkeys, based on the movie of the same name. So I thought I'd review both of those in this podcast. So let's start with Predestination, which I saw on Google Play, by the way. I have to say that I think Heinlein's All You Zombies is in some to many ways the best time travel story ever written. The only competition is Isaac Asimov's The End of Eternity, in my view, and in some ways that novel is better. They're two completely different stories. But All You Zombies is a masterpiece in terms of exploring the complex loops on a personal level of time travel. So accordingly, a movie that in most to all ways is faithful to the original story should be in many ways the best time travel movie ever made. And by the way, I think the best time travel movie ever made is 12 Monkeys. We'll get to that in a little while. But as far as predestination is concerned, I think it was and is Certainly in some ways, the best time travel movie ever made. I enjoyed it just immensely. Now, I saw it having already read the story. How else would I be able to say it's in many ways the best time travel story ever written if I hadn't read the story? And I therefore can't quite fathom what it would be like to see the movie without having first read the story which, to spell it out, means you know the secret that ingeniously weaves its way throughout the entire story. The last thing I'll say here without getting into that secret, which is to say the last thing in this review which will be spoiler-free, is that possibly the best way to see the movie if you haven't read the story is on Google Play or some other suitable site that allows you to stop, ponder, and rewind if necessary. That, combined with the fact that the movie is largely narrative with no big action scenes involving armies or mountains, 
may mean that the best way to see this movie, if you haven't read the story, is not in the theater. Well, what's the secret I am alluding to? So brilliantly executed in the story, as well as the movie? Well, it's that all the major characters, except one in the movie, Mr. Robertson, are the same person. That includes people who look not at all alike, who are male and female, baby, child, teenager, and old man. And the story that ties them together literally is not only plotted perfectly, but given to us in just the right details. Now, my favorite touches in time travel stories are those that are almost casually dropped, having no seeming earth-shaking significance at the time, but they turn out to be major pointers to what is really going on in retrospect. Shortly after we meet the character played by Ethan Hawke, whose face is badly burned, we come to see that he looks like Ethan Hawke because of the plastic surgery to repair his face. Not long after the hermaphroditic character played first by Sarah Snook claims her his manhood, he gets the good news that he's no longer, quote, shooting blanks, unquote. This sets up the biggest payoff in the story in which he, still played by Snook, sleeps with her self, that is her younger self. She gets pregnant with a baby, that is her. Yes, both her and hers, and for that matter also his, making the baby a kind of clone. And eventually she turns out to be the he who becomes Ethan Hawke. Now, if all of this sounds a little awkward and a lot complicated, it is. But the magic of both the story and the movie makes it mostly mind-bogglingly wondrous. Indeed, the story is so seamless and seamlessly portrayed that even Mr. Robertson, a Mr. Smith a la The Matrix kind of character who was not in Heinlein's original 1959 story, even he looks a little to a lot like Ethan Hawke, which only increases our growing awareness that almost everyone is everyone in this time-looped masterpiece. The environments are filled with nice touches, as in the bar scene with the ladies and gents' rooms right next to each other in the background, subtly symbolizing that the lead character, who in the bar is literally talking to himself, Snook, now a man, talking to Hawk. But that lead character is both a man and a woman at one time or another. And the scene between Snook the man and the slightly younger Snook the woman is also perfectly played. He falls for her because he's in love with him herself, the supreme narcissist. And she falls for him because he knows her so well, something everyone wants from someone they've just met. I have no idea what you'll think of all this if you don't have a taste for time travel. But as a connoisseur and practitioner of the genre... I wish I could save the actual activity. I can tell you that if you are similarly inclined, you'll find predestination a preternatural treat and feast for the intellect and the senses. 
Let's go to 12 Monkeys, the series which just debuted this month on the Sci-Fi Channel. It had a lot to live up to, at least in my book, because as I mentioned, I've long considered the 1995 movie, 12 Monkeys, the best time travel movie ever made, because it respected the paradoxes of time travel so well, which is to say wove them into an at once thrilling but plausible by the logic of time travel story. Indeed, the only competition to the 12 Monkeys movie arrived just recently this month in the form of the movie Predestination, which I just told you about, based again on Robert Heinlein's All You Zombies. So I now have two favorites, two very different movies, two very different stories, both brilliant, brilliant examples of time travel. Now, a television series is a very different thing from a movie. The television series is much longer, obviously, which means much more time to roll out a story, which gives the television series more opportunities, but also more potential pitfalls. So how did the 12 Monkeys series fare based on the first episode? Quite well. In fact, I'd say it was excellent. I'm not going to dwell on or even mention the differences between the movie and the series so far because I think those kinds of things are boring. Those kinds of nitpicking, did the television series do this as well as the movie? For example, I'll mention this, the Brad Pitt character in the movie is a woman in the television series. See, what does that really matter that Jeffrey Goines has become Jennifer Goines? Of much greater interest to me is how the TV 12 Monkeys tells the story of the attempt to stop a plague by going back in time to pretty much our present to stop the plague from ever happening. The first episode seemed pretty well informed of the paradoxes and satisfyingly almost but not completely hobbled by them, which I think is just the right mix. Cole, the time traveler, speaks constantly of avoiding them because, quote, nature doesn't like its furniture rearranged, unquote, as he puts it, and nature especially abhors the same entity from two different times, whether people or objects, finding itself right next to itself because of something done by the time traveler. This includes especially the time traveler, which is why Cole can't travel into the past or future in short jumps, lest he run into himself and set off who knows what kind of destructive consequences for all concerned. The fact that no paradox is triggered by Cole's killing of the senior Goins also works well. In a high dramatic moment, Cole kills Goins, engendering who knows what kind of results but all worth it if the plague is stopped. And when nothing happens, this tells Cole and us that Goins wasn't the source of the plague after all. So the 12 Monkeys television series is off to a fine start. The action is fast, the crucial chemistry between Cole and Raleigh strong, and the twisted, fascinating, dizzying paradoxes of time travel embraced and acted upon. Unless someone from the future comes back to stop me, I'll be watching and reviewing every episode. And I did review the second episode, 
in which I said 12 Monkeys continued its story on Sci-Fi Tonight with a phrase that captured the predicament of Cole and every time traveler. When Cole asks his boss, Jones, how someone could say Cole was responsible for a scar, but Cole has no memory of even meeting that person, Jones replies that you'll meet him in your future but his past. Now that's about as neat an explanation of twisted, interconnected timelines as you're likely to get in a time travel story. And we don't even know the name of the guy that Cole will scar. You know, he's played by Tom Noonan, who has a pretty good beat on the weird, creepy, slightly psychotic, having played one quite well back in Hell on Wheels. In everyone's past, by the way, it takes place in the 19th century, unless you haven't seen the fine series as yet, in which case it will be in your future. Meanwhile, there are other significant conversations between Cole and Jones. He doesn't like taking orders from her, but who does like taking orders? And although she starts the episode strictly forbidding Cole from interacting with Cassandra, rarely, lest he throw off the timeline that resulted in the future, first finding out about a possible way to stop the plague, she comes to realize, that is, Jones comes to realize that the mission may need Cassandra Raleigh after all. So Jones, like all good heroes in time travel stories, including the scientists behind the missions, is willing to risk paradox on behalf of the mission's success. Let's face it, if they weren't, they likely wouldn't have gone into time travel in the first place. Now, speaking of missions, this episode of 12 Monkeys had a brief gambit that was positively prescient about what recently happened in our own off-screen timeline Less than a month ago, Cole ends up for a few harrowing moments in North Korea. In what was it, 2006? Now, these kinds of misfires are common enough in time travel stories. We saw plenty of them in Quantum Leap and, for that matter, in the 12 Monkeys 1995 movie. But North Korea? Are you kidding me? Unbelievable coincidence with our reality. You know, I half expected to see Seth Rogen or that hot North Korean propaganda minister in the scene with Cole. I guess it's a good thing the North Koreans didn't hack the sci-fi channel and start making demands, though maybe I shouldn't be joking about this. But there were lots of interviews in this episode. Sorry, I couldn't resist. The best being the one with Cole and Jennifer, who looks like the best kind of nutcase character. That is one with some very serious, not crazy information. So I'm looking forward to the next episode of 12 Monkeys, which I may or may not see in the next 24 hours because the Sci-Fi Channel has been putting the next episode up on demand for just the next 24 hours. And I broke down and did watch the next episode of 12 Monkeys. This would be the third episode. Hey, why shouldn't I watch a show earlier than it's being aired? It's a show about time travel, right? But be forewarned or warned or whatever the proper usage to either not listen to this podcast until after 10 p.m. tonight, Friday, the uh, end of January. That will be January 30th. Or if you do, be prepared for a few soft spoilers. 
But first, and this is not a spoiler, I've been meaning to point out that the coincidence of 12 Monkeys on television as a series so soon after the Ebola outbreak that dominated much of our news in the real world this fall is another amazing coincidence. This obviously trumps and is much more significant than the fortuitous North Korean coincidence in episode 1.2. Indeed, the nearness of Ebola to 12 Monkeys gives the series an urgency and verisimilitude that it wouldn't have had just last year, in January 2014. And a lot of the action in 1.3 takes place in Haiti as Cassandra goes there in 2014 to stop a plague that could be the plague but turns out to be just river fever, whatever exactly that is. But the real action here is Cassandra and Jones telling Cole to keep clear of Cassandra in Haiti. He, too, is on a mission there. So as not to contaminate, i.e. bend the timeline, which Cole will need from Cassandra in the future. Back in Haiti, Cole also manages to scar the Tom Noonan Creepo character, thereby closing that little loop, as well as kill someone that Cassandra slept with and was beginning to really care about, but Cole doesn't know this until later in the future when he lies to Cassandra about killing Andre. All of which is testament to the care that this series is taking in following the logical consequences of the paradox that time travel engenders. Keep the paradoxes ever in mind and steer clear of them whenever possible. Which, as I said in my review of the first episode, is in my view a hallmark of good time travel science fiction. I should also say, apropos Cole and Cassandra, that Aaron Stanford and Amanda Schull are both doing a really excellent, appealing, and convincing job in those lead roles. Meanwhile, there's also some important action taking place in the 2040s future of the story, much more than in the movie, by the way. Ramsey, who's played by Kurt Acevedo of French fame, is a major character in this future where we learn that the time travel facility may soon be under attack from some kind of human group that's not sick, as far as we know. So at this point, I'm enjoying the television series about as much as the movie. Again, that's saying a lot, including the differences, because the movie was superb. But the paradoxes, lies, and near intersections through time are making 12 Monkeys exceptional television. Well, if you would like to read the written reviews that I'm going to continue to be doing for 12 Monkeys, you can find them over on paullevinson.net. That's P-A-U-L-L-E-V-I-N-S-O-N dot net. And I may later review some additional episodes right here on this podcast, Light On, Light Through, L-I-G-H-T-O-N, L-I-G-H-T-T-H-R-O-U-G-H dot com. Light On, Light Through. So we're off to a great year, at least as far as time travel is concerned, in 2015. I'll be back soon with another episode. In the meantime, enjoy. The Light on Light Through podcast.
Athens, 2042 AD. She ripped the paper in half, then ripped the halves, then ripped what was left again into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Sierra Waters had read once that, years ago, it was thought that men made love for the thrill, while women made love for the sense of connection it gave them. Curled up with a good book says, Sierra Waters is sexy as hell. You can find out more about The Plot to Save Socrates by Paul Levinson at theplottosavesocrates.com. about an ancient biotech war raging on in secret for centuries.